Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're in the book of Deuteronomy. We're at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, because we read on a triennial cycle here at KI, which means we're, the, we're in the last third of every Torah portion until we begin Genesis again. So we're going to begin at verse 12. Ve'ata Yisrael, and now Israel, ma'adonai lohecha sho'el me'imach, what does Adonai your God demand of you? Only this, to revere Adonai your God, to walk in God's paths, to love God and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart and soul, keeping Adonai's commandments and laws which I enjoin upon you today for your good. Mark the heavens to their uttermost reaches, belong to Adonai your God, the earth and all that is on it. Yet it was to your ancestors that Adonai was drawn in love for them, so that God chose you, their lineal descendants from among all peoples, as is now the case. Cut away, therefore, the thickening about your hearts and stiffen your necks no more. For Adonai your God is God supreme and Lord supreme, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who shows no favor and takes no bribe, but upholds the cause of the fatherless and the widow and befriends the stranger, providing the stranger with food and clothing. You too must befriend the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. There's a very famous line of Torah. So this is, if you look at verse 12, the the first word in the Hebrew this is not how you're used to seeing ata spelled. Because ata, normally we're used to seeing it spelled with an aleph because it means you, singular, masculine. But this is an ayin. So when we see ata with an ayin, it means now, right now. So this sentence begins right now. Ve'ata, Yisrael. So right now, Israel. What does your God ask of you? So this for our, when I was at IJS on retreat, we were on retreat during this Parsha, and they just kept repeating that sentence every time we sat in silence for meditation. Right now, in this moment, right now, what does and Yisrael, of course, is singular. You can say the people as a collective singular or Shema Yisrael. Listen up, Israel person, Jew. So what is it, what is it that God is asking of you right now? Right? And sometimes that's to shut up, sit down, and get out of the way. Right? So it doesn't mean action always. And here even, it's not, so, it's not just about action, right? It's about to love God. Right? That it's... That's what God wants from you right now. So this, of course, is probably talking about a historical moment, um, but, you know, always we're taking words of Torah and using them differently. And so for me, this is always a beautiful line of Torah to help refocus and recenter me. Right now, this moment, right in this breath, what is it that is asked of me? Because sometimes that allows us to settle down and get out of our own way and to get out of our own heads. So what is the answer according to Moshe? And that is to, we've talked about this word before, yir'ah, to both 
the sense of fear and a sense of awe to both fear and be in awe of Elohecha, your God, to walk in all of God's ways, and to love God, and to serve Adonai, your God, with all your heart, and with all of your self. Um, very familiar words to us, right? This is very, very much the Deuteronomist. This is very much how the Deuteronomist talks, very much the language um, of the school of D. Lishmorit et mitzvot Adonai, to guard and to keep the commandments of God, ve'et chukotav, and God's laws, asher anochem hayom latov lach, that I am commanding you this day for your good. Right? This is not a God who is demanding something that is molech, you know, passing your children through the fire. Right? This is... This is all these things that I'm commanding you, says Torah, are tovlach. They're good for you. You know, it's like being prescribed vegetables, right? It's like they're good for you. Um, they're delicious. Oh, it all depends. Hein ladonai lohecha. Right, so now we get, as usual, um, witnesses, right? And so invoking this idea that the heavens in their vastness belong to God, right? All of this belongs to the God who's making this claim on you today. And yet we get this beautiful set of sukim um, that in this beautiful word, verse 15, the third word in Hebrew, chashak. Chashak is about, uh, is about desire, Mm-hmm. So, chashak, that it is only ba'avotecha chashak Adonai, it is only because God was drawn in, in loving desire for your ancestors that God chose them, right? And chooses you because you are zaram, you are their seed. So, by what merit is Israel elected? According to Deuteronomy, by what merit is Israel elected? Not even the merit of the an- what is the merit of the ancestors that they are chosen? God Meaning, hmm? walking God's ways. That's what we're supposed to do as a result of being in this special relationship of election. But what was the merit of the ancestors that they were elected? Nothing. 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 Had nothing to do with them. God loved them. It it starts on God's side. We're not given a reason why God loved them. Stum, kacha. It just is. So it's you know you were loved. God had a desire for you, a love for your ancestors, and so because you are descended from them. You are in this special relationship where you are given these things that are tovlach, that are good for you to do. So not only are the people standing before Moshe without any special merit, right? They're descended from people who are not of any special merit. God, this is all because God wanted it. But we always want a reason. We want a reason, and Deuteronomy is very clear. There isn't one. You weren't special. 
Your ancestors weren't special. God loved them. That's what made them special. Why? 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 No reason. Pam's unhappy with that answer. I'm just thinking. I mean, I think certainly Abraham's had some very special character traits. So it could have said that, couldn't it? That's why God loved him so much. Couldn't it have said that? Because your ancestor Abraham was so righteous, God loved him and elected him. Doesn't say that. But it could have said it. So, right? It, because I think it's important that there's no reason. There's no reason. Now, there's a consequence to that choice. Now, there's some things you need to do because God loved your ancestors. God fell in love with your ancestors, picked them, had a special contract drawn up with them that obligates you. They must have been cute. <laughs> I would like to think God had slightly different standards, but... It's sort of odd that this comes at the end, because we've seen throughout the year, the Jews often just strayed and fought and argued and disagreed and behave like bad folks. I mean, God says, I love you, and you should behave this way. And they said, uh-uh. Although, let's be, if we stay really specific to Deuteronomy, who did God love? The Jews, the ancestors. Ha, 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 ha. The ancestors. Ha, ha. God loved your ancestors. But even the ancestors. Doesn't say God loves you. Right. Didn't even the ancestors that God loved always fought well, I mean, it depends what you mean by fighting with God. They followed God. They did what God said. Abraham argued with God. Follow my rules and behave in a certain way. They did. They did. Well, they didn't. I mean, a lot of times they just did not. Well, okay, so first of all, to judge them fairly, Torah's not been given. There are no laws. So, so what, how, how does it mean they didn't behave? If you want to talk about what they did with their wives or whatever else, um, then that's that's another conversation, but they... Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to assume she can figure it out. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting that you say that because we in Hartman studied several texts that... So this text does not say it was random. This text says God fell in love with your ancestors. And so now you're implicated in what that means. The same way we get born into a family and there are obligations that we have because we're born into that family. You know, the, whoever decided to get together and hook up and do that didn't consult us, right? And so um, is she okay, Lisa? Yeah, she's okay. Okay, she's trying to find Adam so yeah, he can take Adam. her to Arden's house. Yes. Okay, thank you. Because um, her stuff's in my car. All of her clothes are in my car. Um, when they would ask, why? Because I said so. so. So in this text it says, because God fell in love with your ancestors, they were elected, and because you're their zarah, you're their seed, you're on the hook for all the commandments. In uh, Hartman, we studied several texts that, that were about, there are old texts that we don't read because they're not part of the 
five books of Moses, but they're very old texts that talks about when the peoples were dispersed among the gods, yud heh vav got Israel. So there are texts that says kind of God got Israel. Um, what was the word you used? By the, well, or, or just random, randomly. That, that God gets Israel randomly, that the gods drew lots, and, and yud heh vav got Israel. So it seems like there's, there's a couple of old traditions about how this election business happened, that we are you know, elected, um, happens either by lots, so it's random, so then yud heh vav has to figure out what that means, that I'm stuck with this people. Um, and then here it's very clear that, that God fell in love with our ancestors and chose them. And by virtue of the fact that we are descended from them, that is how we are a people um, that is elected. If God got us by random, he would have said, <laughs> there, are, there wasn't another choice. That's the whole thing. God was stuck with us. So, um, so there are many midrash. There are many midrashim that want to fix that. Like there are many midrashim that are uncomfortable with the idea that we didn't in any way have anything to do with getting elected as the chosen people. So there are many midrashim, and you even know some of them, where God goes to every other people first and says, will you accept my Torah? All of those texts come as a response to the idea that we had nothing to do. We didn't earn in any way or deserve in any way to be the chosen people. Jana? I just find it fascinating that it's so a part of us as human beings that we think we have to do something to get something. But what if we didn't? What if we didn't? And then what would what would blossom from that experience, that lived experience? So what would change if we truly believed right. it started with you are loved, period. And that's where we It is a powerful, powerful image that Deuteronomy is very attached to. You were loved. Your ancestors were loved, period. No reason. They didn't earn it. They didn't necessarily deserve it. It doesn't matter. God loved them. Kind of like Audrey said about loving children. Our children don't earn our love. They may earn us liking them or trusting them, or wanting to be around them even, um, but they don't earn our love. That is, that is a precondition of the relationship. If you're a healthy, well-adjusted parent, that is a precondition. You bring a dog into your house. You love it, you love it period. Like it, that is a precondition. So, so what would it mean to really live from a place of we are loved first, then there there's some expectations that go along with that. Hasn't the reconstructionists said we are not the chosen people? Correct. What what's a hard argument? What is, we just read that we have we are the chosen people. 
because our ancestors were chosen. So this is a, an argument for the we are chosen people and the Reconstructionists have the, the Reconstructionist movement has no problem with the fact that this was once upon a time how we thought about ourselves. We have no problem with that. But things have changed. We just don't, we don't believe in a choosing God, obviously. But once upon a time, this is how our people talked about covenant. Do we still, as Reconstructionists, talk about covenant? 100%. Do we feel we have a covenant with God? 100%. Now, you can say that doesn't mean you're chosen. It just means you're given a covenant. Okay, that's fine. But you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, we're, we're hung up on that word, frankly. Frankly, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I think we've been hanging around that whole concept. Like, I don't think that's what defines Reconstructionism, frankly. It's one thing that Kaplan felt was offensive to have in the prayer book when our non-Jewish neighbors would come worship with us. I don't think he really cared about chosen or not chosen. He didn't like it that it showed up in the prayer book and people who don't know about Judaism and know what that concept means would read it and go, it's exclusive, it's all that, you know, you think you're all that, you think you're better than us, that's not what it means, I mean, it sort of does, but, but not really, you know, whatever. So, because this doesn't mean, to me, and you know I don't believe in choosing God, but I'm just saying. It doesn't mean that God couldn't fall in love with the Ojibwe ancestors and have a different set of things that was demanded of the Ojibwe people as a result of God being in love with their ancestors. This is not exclusive to, to, it, to my mind, which is how people defend chosenness and defend that concept. Is to say It doesn't mean God can't choose other peoples for other agreements. This is our agreement. Do you think God is um, all powerful and is able to see the future? Uh, is able to. Do I think so, or does Deuteronomy think so? I think so. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure, but my my point is that God can extrapolate from seeing what's going on for a thousand years. Uh, you, you know, the the Israelites. Uh, act um, ethically or whatever, and so ex post facto, he he chooses uh, uh, the Israelites to be his chosen people. Well, that would have to come from an argument that the Israelites were righteous. They never were. Okay, right. They they never were, ever. That's why we have prophets. Right. Because for the entire history of the Jewish people, emerging out of the Canaanites in the land of Israel. We always worshipped other gods, always, and always were. And plus, the, the the understanding of the law changes. So even if you think you're living in line with the law, what did we what did we read about finding Deuteronomy? It's a religious reform, right? Now everything you thought you were doing isn't what God wants, right? So it's an evolving. These texts evolve over a thousand years, right? So so it was never static. And, it, and we never did it. We were never righteous. If it were really about how we behaved, for sure we would not be chosen. For sure. No humans would, right? What human group would be chosen? So um, anyway, so that's a long way to say, um, I think the whole harping on chosenness is misplaced. Like, I don't think anybody cares that, that we think or that I don't think anybody cares what we think we are. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but I'm also proud of a movement that said, if we don't believe it, get rid of it. 
if it's offensive and it doesn't really work with our values and it's going to cause more problems than it's worth, take it out of the prayer book. I'm fine with that. But I don't have a big attachment to it because I don't understand it to mean you're better than everybody else. It says, because I chose you, you now have a bunch of crap you have to do. <laughs> what kind of chosen is that? Right? You're chosen, Pam, now because I love you so much. You're going to clean up after everybody leaves to stay with me longer because it's your obligation. Now. I mean, really? That, what kind of love is that? Right? So. Right, thanks a lot. As our the joke always goes, you know, if this is what it means to be chosen, choose somebody else. Yeah. Right? You know. Well, Trump was chosen. Yeah. Oh, don't even. Don't even. Yes. Yes. Yes, and it's not unrelated. Well, unrelated, but, but it's always uh, as it were, or one might say. Yes. I'm wondering whether that, what, what the range of, of words that you would to cover the notion of loving choice. So it's interesting. There isn't a word for loving choice, which is interesting. There is no such thing. It is... Um, it is stated in Hebrew, and there's only one word that's used um, for the, the choosing part, and that is, right, bachar. God bachars. Asher bachar banu amim. Right? So... So there's not to throw people too badly. Often when I do Kiddush at my home, I don't do the Reconstructionist version because people don't know that. But I'll sing instead of Asher Bachar Banu Mikoha Amim, I'll sing Asher Bachar Banu Im Koha Amim, who chose us with all other peoples. Right? This is the way God chose us. God chooses each people in their own way. Right? Um, just because it doesn't disrupt the cadence you know, of the Kiddush, the way people are used to it. But, um, but bachar. So choice is about bachar. What we see are a couple of other words here. One is chashak. And the other, you already know, which is about ahava, love. So we get, God is the only one to do bachar. We're told that God is the only one who does chashak. This, this kind of desire. Both of us, God and us, are expected to do ahava. God ahavas first, and then we are expected to respond in ahava. Because we are loved, we are expected to, if it starts with us being loved, we are expected out of that experience to love in return, which is how we can have the commandment, et Adonai Elohecha. The rabbis say the only way we can be commanded to love is to have been loved first. That child who just appeared at that doorway better love me because I've loved the crap out of her. <sighs> it's not been an easy 48 hours. <laughs> well, just kind of the 
the ins and outs, right? Almost the, the ins and outs of, you know, what love drives us to sometimes. Um, but right, so we... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot. Uh, Bert will chop it out. It's okay. Bert edits my podcast. Yay, Bert. Yay, <laughs> Yay, Bert. <laughs> so, um, so this idea of... So there's love... So verse 15, Rak b'havotecha chashak Adonai... Right, so la'ahavautam. So this kind of twisted sentence. It was your ancestors that God. It's, it's hard to render in English. Rock, rock Adonai Only your ancestors did God desire to love them. and chose their descendants. So both of us do ahava. Only God does baharing. Uh, and in this case, only God does chashak. I don't. I have to. I have to see. I'd be curious to see whether chashak is ever used of people towards God. Ahava is. But I don't know if desire is. Amy, is there a version of this that appears somewhere at the start of Exodus? Because it just seems that would be the appropriate place for Moses to gather and say, here we go, and here's what you've got to do. I, mean, I, I just don't remember. Is there anything? Well, it's Sinai. It's Sinai. They're given revelation. But is it the same sort of tone? No. No. no, this is Deuteronomy. This is, this is D. In Yiddish, the word kashik, I'm sure it's the same word, but pronounced differently, means uh, inclination and is used by everybody, I have no patience for that, or I have patience to do this or that. Being drawn to something, right? That's the word used of God for Israel. That it doesn't make, it's just, why don't you like the color blue? I, I, I don't know. Why are you drawn, you know, to meatloaf? Of all things, <laughs> I love meatloaf. Leave it alone. Leave leave meatloaf alone. All right. So, uh, I meant the band. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So I want to get to this next very interesting verse. So here's what God's done. God loves you. God chose you from among all peoples to do this special group of stuff. Sixteen. Umaltem et orlat levabchem. So this is a conjunctive vav that means kind of therefore, right? And meaning here, here comes something on the heels of what we just said. So essentially, so you must circumcise the foreskin of your heart. The orpchem lo od, and your necks. You shouldn't stiffen anymore. All right, so what is the consequence of God having loved our ancestors and chosen us, their descendants, for this special loving relationship, um, which means we need to now walk in God's ways and follow God's mitzvot and all of that stuff? What is a result of all of that? So therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and your necks do not stiffen anymore. Is there any 
Very interesting. To go to your source sheet that I created on Safari. It's a great, it's a great Torah toy, people. It's a great Torah toy. Uh oh, this is not the latest version, though. Um, interesting. Okay. So they did not copy my latest version of the sheet because I added some more sources. All right. So here we have the text. I gave you the text, Deuteronomy 12, 10, 12 through 19. Now let's look at Rashi, one of our most famous commentators. What does Rashi say on this verse? You shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart. This means you shall remove the closure and cover that is on your hearts, which prevent my words gaining entrance to them. So what I had on your other sheet uh, are two other instances where we see this idea of circumcising a body part that is not the penis. Um, One is Jeremiah that talks about the uncircumcised ear being able, being unable to hear. And, and what does Moses say when Moses declines God's offer to go be the prophet? I am of uncircumcised lips. So, so this uns- meaning, I, I, my lips don't do what lips are supposed to do, which is communicate. And for those who are uh, uncircumcised of ear, their ears don't do what ears are supposed to do, which is hear, right? And take in the words, meaning, of course, not just hear them, but take them in and understand them. Um, and so, so then what would it mean for the heart, right? If ears are supposed to hear, lips are supposed to communicate, what is a heart supposed to do? Love. To feel, to love, what else? Hopefully not hate. Not separation from God. Do not have a separation from God. So that sounds to me like how, not the what, right? So how does one love and feel and respond or whatever? By removing the thickening that separates us from God. And where does the text go right after that? Cut away the blah, 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 blah. Verse 17, it's on your sheet and in your book. For yud heh is God supreme, the great, mighty, and the awesome God who shows no favor and takes no bribes. So something about if we cut away the thickening, we would be closer to a God who shows no favor, but we just got elected, um, and takes no bribes, and upholds the cause of the orphan and the widow and befriends the stranger, providing the stranger with food and clothing. So what does an open, uncircumcised, open to God's heart do? It responds to everyone equally Nobody gets shown favor. Everyone is equally valued. The other thing it seems Torah believes that would lead to is loving the stranger. And not only loving the stranger, 
but making sure the orphan, the widow, and the stranger are fed, are clothed, are cared for. Even at the border. Especially once they cross the border and are completely dependent on you for their experience. Especially then, because they have no, you are the authority, right? They're, how their life is going to go is completely dependent on you. They were talking about the psychological damage to kids about being um, contained, detained in these, in these facilities, and that one of them is that it's not normal for children's lives to be regulated not by their parents, but by guards. I was like, just think about that. Their parents have no authority or control over their kids' lives. Who controls the kids' daily life? Guards. So that, I mean, that, right? So that, anyway. So, yeah. So when, they, when they're in your hands, who, what experience are you going to give those people? Torah seems to suggest. A few weeks ago, I don't remember whether it was you or somebody else was talking about. Who else would you have been learning with? <laughs> was talking about this idea of being, being, meaning the Jewish stranger, not the stranger from another tribe. Okay, first of all, Jew, there's no word for Jew here. There, there's no Jews yet. These are Israelites. These are Israelites. There are no Jews. So, A, that concept goes out the window. In this time, when Torah is talking, it is talking to Israelites. Now, people could make the argument they're talking about Israelite strangers. There is no such thing as an Israelite stranger. By definition, if you're an Israelite, you're an Israelite. If you are a ger, if you are a stranger, you are a resident alien. If you're an Israelite, you're, if you're a citizen of... I mean, a citizen, they didn't have that word. But if you were, if you were an Israelite, it would say Israelite. Everybody else who's living there is a ger, is a resident alien. There is no such thing. Now, what the rabbis did is they took the word ger and they turned it into someone who used to be not an Israelite. Someone who used to be not Jewish, who converted. So they're saying ger means the convert. You should treat the convert kindly. Okay, that is all rabbinic. In the Torah text, there is no possibility that a ger is a Jew, because there's no Jews. There are only Israelites and non-Israelites, and ger by definition means someone who is not an Israelite. How do we know? Ki gerim hayitem be'eretz mitzrayim. The next sentence says, because you were gerim in the land of Egypt. What, we were Jews in the land of Egypt? Then why would we be called gerim, strangers in the land of Egypt, if... What, Egypt was Jewish? So it obviously wasn't you who said that. It was obviously not me who said that. Sorry, I guess that, there was a little animation there. Because I, I hate it when I hear that people take these texts, right, and completely go the, the exact, are teaching the opposite of what these texts once meant. I won't deny that the rabbinic tradition did what it needed to do and wanted to do with these texts. I don't deny that. But to in any way teach that this actually means is... Is, is Dafka against exactly what it's calling us to do, which is to love those who are not us. And if we could take this seriously right now, 
Love the one who's dafka, not like you? Oh my gosh, would the world change? But right? <laughs> and because and I think Torah knows that. Torah knows how hard that is. And that they're gonna fail miserably over and over and over. We fail miserably over and over and over again, and it doesn't excuse our being commanded to love the gear, to love the stranger. And one of my teachers at Hartman said, because we have a choice about what we do with our own experience and our own pain. Because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. How did that go for us? Not well. Fill in Nazi Germany. Fill in wherever you... You know what it is to be oppressed as the stranger who has no access to authority and power, protection... That's what a stranger, that's why the stranger is vulnerable, right? Because they have no, no one to defend them because they're resident aliens. So you know what that experience is. Like you have two choices out of what to do with that. Perpetuate oppression, like feel better about your own pain by causing someone else to suffer so that you feel powerful. That's, we see that all the time. Abu- people who are abused become abusers. We see that all the time. That's one response. Torah demands a different response to our pain. And that is a response of empathy. Because you know how it feels, because you've had that experience, you are specially obligated to make sure the widow, the orphan, the resident alien, all the people who are incredibly vulnerable and dependent on the society you build you must guard and make sure that they are cared for. You know, uh, 17 and 19, it seems to me that cut away your heart, and then it says, God, blah, 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 is, a, uh, is to become one with God. That one, is, that sentence says, God doesn't take pride, blah, so by cutting away your heart, but when you get to 19, there's an instruction to the people that say, you must befriend the stranger. So it seemed to me... What, but, but I just want to correct the English because I don't like it. Ve'ahavta metager. What's the difference? You will love the stranger. Right? That makes more sense because it comes directly out of God loved your ancestors. You will love... Right, so right, it's a whole chain of love stuff. That that it's just more consistent. It makes way more sense to me. But go ahead. No, it just seems to me there's a chain. Circumcise your heart so you get closer to God, become one with God. Sort of God, the image you move there. In the second nineteen, people are being told directly how to behave. It just seems nineteen speaks. You must whatever. Uh huh. But in seventeen, you you cut away. And then it describes what God is. So you cut away your heart to come closer to God as described therein. Right. Nineteen or specific. It seems the language changes, and you must be friends. Mm-hmm. And just, it just knows the difference between someone that up Moses saying you must be friends with the other is describing God. Cut away your heart so you come closer to God. I, I think without that that separation, 
that when our heart is open, we get more compassion naturally towards the strangers. So by that cutting away, it does a lot of things. I think it just makes us more compassionate and able to love the stranger without you know, all these blocks that we and, you know, and, and frankly, I feel like 19 is saying, and whether you feel it or not, you have to behave towards the stranger in Ahava. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to love it. But you have to behave towards the stranger, right, um, a certain way, out of a sense of your own history. Is this not a problem in terms of looking at modern-day Israel and the whole <sighs> issue of, you know, how, uh, how the you know, Arabs are treated? Uh, I'm not necessarily taking one side or another, but I'm saying that it doesn't seem that this is able to be applied so, yeah, so I, I don't want to be dismissive at all. Truly, I don't. I'm going to say we don't have to go there. Okay. Look at the border. I mean, we, we don't have to look at Israel. Why, why, do, why do I care yeah, looking sure. at Israel? I, look at our society, the one we're responsible for. We don't even have to leave our borders to see that we have an impossibility here, right? As, as Jews, if we take this business seriously, it's right here at home. Israel is its own. They have the same problems we do. Why aren't we taking these people in and, out and behaving differently? Because now fill in the whole line of arguments that go. And I'm not look. I'm not saying the border should be open and everybody wants to come. To, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not a naive. I'm not an idiot. I just think that we're not addressing the becauses enough. Right. What we do is put it on you know, those who are coming here for lots of different causes. So in Israel, it's a whole different, why is it as it is with the Palestinians? Because. Now fill in those blanks. And, and more attention needs to be given to why we, to the issues and the challenges that result in us treating the stranger or the resident alien or the ones who are vulnerable the way we do, right? And that's, that's I, I believe, what Torah would say is, but what we do is we guard the heart. I don't know about y'all, but there are times I'm just like, delete, delete, delete. I can't. Delete, delete. And it's terrible. It's terrible. But I'm like, you know what? I can't. I... My zone. Delete. Bert, cut that out. So it's like, I, it's like I can't. There's only so many places my attention can rest on, on who needs help now and what, where am I supposed to help now and who wants this from me now? And Rabbi, we want you to sign on to a letter to respond to Trump. It's like, no, no, I'm done. I'm done. I want to put my energy where it matters. I want to put my attention where it matters. But it's, but we, but I, but I guard the heart. Because how do we take it all in, right? And so I think that's what happens is we get, we get to a place where just to kind of function, we, we thicken you know, stuff around the heart so that we don't feel, and then we don't feel the urgency to focus on the because. Right? If I was really taking this stuff seriously, the issues of the immigration, we'd be focusing on because why? The violence in Central America? You know, okay, South America, great. So let's address that. Wh- whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, or a system that needs to expand vastly because of the crisis on our continent. 
the border, I just think to myself, you know, does a does a beaver feel borders? It's our continent. There are people on there, like, we, okay, so there's a major, we need to expand the entire system to try to figure out how do we address that. But there's, there's not conversation about that. All the conversation is on these refugees. It's like the focus, you know, the emphasis is on the wrong syllable because it, it it's, you know what I mean? Because we have, because it's just, right? We've put up these barriers, John. So, a, so how do we how do we take care of ourselves so that we can do? That's a very Western question. Okay. That's an extremely Western modern question. Hmm. All right, so, so you tell me, take a minute and think, mm-hmm. what would Torah's answer be? You can do it because you've got, you're part of God and God's commanded you just to... Torah would, Torah would say, follow the path. Follow, walk in God's ways. Follow the path. It has been laid out for you. What you can eat, what you can't, when Shabbat is, when it's not. Getting to... Wait, it was a communal life. There was not a sense of I, Amy, need some time and I need to recreate so that I can... Be- there, there was a sense of we're in this together and you do it together. Everybody's doing Shabbat at the same time. There was no... There was a, there wasn't a focus on, on I. How do I take care of me so that I can then give... But you just... You live communally, and it's about the community's health and the community's success and how the community treats the stranger. Someone shows up at your village. What does the village do? Do we send out the elders to greet them and bring them in and distribute to them what they need? Does that make sense? It does. I guess I'm I'm taking it tomorrow. Right. Okay, then that's a whole different set of answers. I mean, I think some of the answers are here. Do Shabbat. (laughs) Make sure you've got a healthy balance towards, you know, work and play, between work and recreation, between, right? Make sure you're doing a lot of the stuff in here, right? Be grateful. Also in this parsha, you will eat, you will be sated, and you will bless. So the rabbis say, no, it's not that you're going to eat and be sated and then, you know, and then the natural thing is to bless. It's a commandment, say the rabbis. See, this is the good rabbi stuff. <laughs> this is the good rabbi interpretation. The good rabbi's interpretation says, you know, it's a commandment. You will eat, you will be sated, and then you are commanded to bless. Why? Because gratitude does not come naturally to us. We're very grateful for the food when we're hungry and about to eat. But the rabbis say that's when it's dangerous. When you're sated. When you're sated is when things get really dangerous. So make sure 
You are practicing gratitude. Always. What does that look like? Don't take it for granted. You, you think you got all this because you deserve it or you earned it. or you, Right? Every time you walk in past the mezuzah, thank God my house is still here. Amazing that I have this kind of abundance and this kind of safety and this kind of shelter. Let me please go out into the world and reflect the values of this home as I interact with every single person. And then when I come home, I do the same thing. My home is still here. I can't believe it. This is amazing. And may I enter and deal with my family members the same way I deal when everybody's watching me out there. Right there. So you know, we can fill a, you know, a vast amount of pages with, with what that would look like for us you know, today. But, and I think part of our job is to reconstruct the tradition. Our job is to figure out, okay, does meditation help? Great, let's do that. Right? Like, what, what, will, what will help us care for, and not just care for, but to, to challenge ourselves and to build the, the spiritual muscles that it takes to be able to choose in the moment to respond out of love. Because love ain't a feeling, according to Torah. Love is an attitude, it's, it, and it guides your behavior. And, and, and love in Torah is about behavior. How do you love God? You walk in God's ways. You follow God's commandments, right? So, and you love the stranger by taking care of them. Right? You're just, oh, they're so great. I love strangers. Wait, you, it's like, it's like, right? It's so not Jewish. Right? No one cares what you feel about the stranger. Right? You know, I love my heart. It's like, who cares? Like, go care for them. Take, give them what they need, right? And so, um, so that's our job, is to constantly reconstruct the practices that will help strengthen us to respond in love when that is not, and in gratitude and whatever, when that is not our inclination. Judaism does not have a terribly rosy view of people. I'll just, I'll just say that. It's very realistic. You, you have both good inclinations and bad inclinations. That's what we got. God knew that in the text. The rabbis knew that. Look at all the prescriptions they give us. You see how big the prayer book is? That's a prescription pad, people. We're supposed to take our meds. They give us the meds because they know it's not our inclination. I love that about Judaism, right? That it's not a sin until you do it because the rabbis know who they're dealing with. (laughs) <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that we can live into, right? A lot of what um, is at the heart of what this demands. All right, look at your second handout. And I'm sorry I didn't give you my full version because I would have read from that. There's some great stuff, but oh well. This is Rabbi Lisa Edwards, who just retired from BCC. Drop down to the word yet, the third paragraph. Yeah, she's talking about Doma, whatever, which is great, but I want to drop down to yet. As we turn to this week's Torah portion, Akev, we see Moses close to death and anxious to instruct the Israelites in everything they need to know before entering the promised land, reminding the Israelites about one of the most oft-repeated mitzvot, God loves a stranger, giving them food and clothing. You too must love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In the book of Exodus, 
In another of the many times in Torah we encounter instruction about how to treat the stranger, we are reminded that having been strangers in Egypt, quote, you know the soul of the stranger. Atem yedatem at nefesh hager. This week, the reminder about strangers comes in a larger context. And now, Israel, what does Adonai ask of you? Only this, to revere God, to walk in God's ways, to serve God, with all your heart and soul. Moses and God know this won't be easy. They've seen for 40 years already in the wilderness that it's not easy, perhaps not in the nature of most human beings. Moses advises an odd remedy. Circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, stiffen your necks no longer. What could it mean to circumcise one's heart? Perhaps it means to cut away a metaphorical outer coating, whatever prevents the heart's tenderness from coming through, whatever keeps us fearful of others, of strangers, and prevents us from showing another what is in our heart. Perhaps the foreskin of the heart is what keeps us from wanting to know the heart of someone else, be it a friend or family member or a stranger walking down a street in our neighborhood. Perhaps this commandment makes being tender-hearted a non-gender-based, quote, sign of the covenant, a kind of brit milah we must perform repeatedly on ourselves as adults. The 15th century Spanish commentator Abravanel, himself a survivor of the Inquisition, who went to Italy in 1942, wrote, a stiff-necked person cannot look behind to see how their actions have led them to where they find themselves. I just love that idea. What is stiff-necked? We talk about it as stubborn or whatever. Stiff-necked means you can't turn to see, right, how you participated in getting to where you are, which I think is a great, a great, a really good rabbinic interpretation. Um, <laughs> there is something so poignant in this coincidence of court cases, failed legislation, she's talking now about marriage equality, protests and demonstrations, while Jews continue our annual reading of the Israelites bidding farewell to Moses and preparing to make their way into the promised land. There's something powerful in reminding ourselves that God long ago called us to do exactly what these marchers and protesters, commentators and demonstrators are doing, to circumcise our hearts, to trim away the tough shell of fear and defensiveness, and to open our hearts to others, to remind ourselves that we know how it feels to have governments turn against us, but also to accept us, to know how it feels to be mistreated by human beings, even ones who teach that all of us are beloved children of God. This week is the second of the seven Shabbatot of consolation and comfort, the Shabbatot between Tisha B'Av, the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, and Rosh Hashanah, one of the most optimistic of our holy days. Our sages say the destruction of the Second Temple, one of the destructions we commemorate on Tisha B'Av, was caused by Sinat Chinam, senseless hatred. On Tisha B'Av, we remember how easy it is to be too stiff-necked to look behind and see what brought us here, even our own actions. But as we walk together toward Rosh Hashanah, we work to open our hearts and look around and within that we might better come to know not only the souls of others, but each of us, our own soul, too. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.